book reading is Christianity, the White Man's Religion. How the Bible is Good News for People of Color by Antipas L. Harris. And we shall continue today in chapter 4 of The Church and the Search for Identity as we pick back up with the sub-chapter of Does Jesus Care About People of Color? As a pastor, I often, I've often been asked bizarre questions. I welcome all of them and hope that I can at least respond intelligently, even though my wisdom is weak. My knowledge is limited and often even fragmented. I received a phone call from someone who anxiously wanted to know whether the historical Jesus was white or a man of color. Given the history of racism in America, more and more young people of color are asking the same question. Theologically speaking, it seems of little importance to know the color of the historical Jesus. Jesus loves the world and offered himself as savior for everyone. Yet the question of historical identity is on many people's minds. Deeper than the physical features, they are concerned that perhaps Jesus can't really understand life in the ghettos and barrios. Everyone wants a savior with whom they can relate. The musician, the musician needs to know that Jesus loves their music. The pilot needs to know that Jesus is in the airplane as it flies across the skies. The business executive needs to know that Jesus is in the boardroom to help close a deal. This is why the spirit of Christ is central to theological discourse. Jesus is present with us daily by the Holy Spirit. But the question of divine earthly identity is not limited to whether the Holy Spirit was with us in striking deals, our occupations, or life's pain, joys, sorrows, and fears. It is a tribal question stated plainly but the historical Jesus, did he look like my people or yours? A few years ago, former Fox News journalist and trained attorney, Megan Kelly, poked fun at Asia Harris's article titled, Santa Claus Should Not Be a White Man Anymore. Kelly asserted, get over it. Santa Claus is white. He is who he is. Jesus was a white man too. Kelly is not a 90-year-old woman who grew up in the 1930s or 40s. It is mind-boggling that a young, educated American attorney and journalist should be so misinformed about the identity of the historical Jesus. While I am sure that Kelly needs to identify personally with Jesus like anyone else, she arrogantly dismissed any idea 
that Jesus was anything other than white. Saying Jesus is white, now get over it, communicates an insensitivity to the black experience. Next subchapter, the crises of identity. People want to know that they matter. So questions from African Americans surrounding Jesus' color and facial features stem from the worry that a white Jesus would not get black people's concerns. But as illustrated above, Kelly protects the white Jesus. It is almost as if she was saying, stop suggesting that Jesus could be black because I need him to be white. I am not a psychoanalyst. Also, it is hard to know a lot from a single comment from a journalist. But indulge me as I wonder whether Kelly has a deeper fear that if Jesus is not white, she would lose her self-confidence and even worse, her faith. Faith that emphasizes with wounded people helps them in the healing process. Faith that empathizes with wounded people helps them in the healing process. I have witnessed this while ministering in some of the nation's most highly secured prisons and correctional facilities. The United States is four 0.4% of the world population and houses nearly 23% of the world's prisoners. A disproportionate number of American inmates are people of color. They often want to know that Jesus can identify with them. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ presents hope for redemptive redemptive justice. While we need prisons to help protect society from violent threats and criminals, there are far too many people who are incarcerated but need something different than a prison cell. The criminal justice system has locked away some of the world's needed potential. With proper mentoring, spiritual nourishing, education, and a better environment, more people can live into their purpose. I was a student chaplain in Atlanta when in seminary I served as part of a prison ministry in New Haven and then I taught in a master's degree program at Sing Sing Prison in New York. In each capacity of service I have seen in prisoners' eyes deep regret, profound embarrassment, helplessness, and low self-esteem. Each day that I went to class at Sing Sing Prison, there were other rooms overflowing with inmates who were intensely listening to emmons from the nation of Islam. Inmates were allowed to wear their Nation of Islam signature bow ties. From what I can tell, 
the Nation of Islam sessions were empowering and identity forming. Crushed under the weight of poor choices or victims of circumstances, empowerment and identity formation are rich resources for prisoners. The same is true for inmates who attend Christian gatherings. They listen for messages that will help them figure out who they are and how they should be thinking about where they are in life. They look for empowerment and spiritual formation. They need to feel close to Jesus. Imagining Jesus from their ethnic origin and or their neighborhood is comforting. Many of them don't know how to pray like church people. For instance, they need to know that Jesus is cool with them talking the way they talk and that he understands the hard knocks of their life. Defined by circumstances, many cannot see beyond where they are to discern who they were created to be. Many have paid their dues to society but for one reason or another, they remain incarcerated. And even when they are released from prison, most end up incarcerated again. Recidivism rates are high. American society is quick to punish, but not so quick to redeem. Formerly incarcerated persons suffer from the mark of criminality on their foreheads. It's hard to move beyond mistakes that have defined them. Like everyone else, men and women with criminal records need to know their potential for greatness. They need to know who God created them to be. I have had the privilege of preaching, teaching, and offering pastoral care to inmates. I have seen the spiritual hunger in them. Desperation for God often goes as deep as their desire to get out of prison. They often need to hear that God identifies with their trouble and there is hope on the other side of crises. They need to hear that old-fashioned sounding but gospel truth that trouble won't last always and that God will make a way out of no way. These are the messages that inspired our ancestors to believe in Jesus. Subchapter Distractions Will Come. Far too many people do not know who they are. There are many reasons for that, but the most important concern is that they rediscover their identity in Jesus. It is easy to be distracted from a God-given identity when they are constantly reminded of who they are not. For example, five months after I moved to Dallas, I was hanging out with my friend, Moises, at a popular restaurant. An older white man came in and began flirting with some younger black women at a table next to ours. I looked up and noticed the woman chuckling as if 
they took the man's flirts in good taste. So I chuckled along with them. Singling me out, the man looked at me and exclaimed, What are you laughing at? You big old ape. Oddly, I was both startled and surprised at the same time. I swallowed hard. My eyes crossed, but this time I kept my cool. Moises said, bro, are you going to let him call you that? He immediately told the server what happened. Shocked and highly offended, she immediately reported it to the manager. The manager, who was hanging out near the bar at the time, ran over and immediately dismissed the man and his family. I was startled when the man called me an ape, but I could only imagine how crushed a person who is poor, less formally educated, or has a criminal record would be to be called names or treated poorly. It would only remind them of who they are not, leaving them wondering if they have any value. Clearly, we still live in a world in which prideful people feel it's okay to demean others and call them horrible names. From prisons to corporate America, self-discovery is a challenge, and some people do not respond well when others treat them in a way that makes them feel less than a human being. Subchapter a deeper structural problem. Name calling is symptomatic of deeper structural sins that are too often ignored among Bible-toting Christians. The church must lead in the support of human dignity. This means that we must publicly rebuke politicians who demean God's people with perverted references and name calling. For example, evangelical Christians missed an opportunity to attend to the identity crisis when President Donald Trump called the black-led NFL kneeling protesters sons of bees. Instead, many of them sided with the president. They criticized the protesters, once again missing an opportunity to listen to the wounded voices. The church has a role to play in helping to shift the attitudes and systems that sustain the plague of hopelessness and despair. The deeper structural problem is that the more money a person has, the greater their moral defense. Christians who uncritically support leaders because they have their proverbial hands in their pockets betray the faith. Having money does not bring the healing our world needs. Many people have money, but it can't buy them peace. It can't buy joy, and it does not heal the social distress that people feel. American functionalism is a social system in which people who move up the social ladder must play by the rules. If women and people of color are to move up, they must play by the rules. They don't get to change the rules and make and keep moving up. 
Laura Ingram crystallized this assumption on Fox News in response to LeBron James' political commentary when she mounted on white privilege and chastised James for talking politics during an interview. James expressed that he feels that the President of the United States does not care for the people. Defending one of the most unbridled presidents in American history, Ingraham felt that the basketball player should have stuck to the script and refrained from any criticism of the president. She exclaimed, keep the political comments to yourself. Shut up and dribble. Ingraham is a journalist, but she assumed the authority to put James in his place. This struck a racial chord among many voters. It illustrated a deeper concern that there are people who feel they have the right to reprimand a man of color for sharing his opinion about American leaders. Racial aggression isn't experienced exclusively in the limelight. Someone graffitied a racial slur on James' Los Angeles home. James responded to Ingraham's rebuke saying, the best thing she did was help me create more awareness. We will definitely not shut up and dribble. I mean too much to society, too much to the youth, too much to so many kids who feel like they don't have a way out. Colin Kaepernick has struggled to re-enter the NFL after upsetting social structures with his kneeling protest. Historically, people of color are supposed to keep their heads low and do as they are told or else they may pay a steep price. The contemporary social crises raises questions about human worth and purpose. James has money and unparalleled talent on the basketball court, but Ingraham reminded him that his opinion about how society is run is not of as much value as his ability to play ball. Kaepernick has money an unparalleled talent on the football field. But regardless of his noble cause, he led a protest that was perceived as an insult to American patriotism. And even some Bible-toting evangelicals dismissed a good cause. Contrary to forces that seek to hold one back, the story of the incarnation teaches us that God came among us to propel us forward. Jesus came among a particular people at a particular time and had their experience. All of creation matters and God hears to the voices that cry for help. Subchapter, how can the church address the identity crises? With fewer men present in many American families, the question of identity raises to prominence. Children learn who they are at home, 
but it is hard to fully embrace identity when families are broken. Young people suffer from unresolved identity problems at any age. One might experience an identity crisis. Trauma and life-changing situations often trigger identity crises. However, the type of identity crises of concern is Eric Erickson's stage of development wherein teenagers usually resolve their identity crises by adulthood. Perhaps people are not resolving their adolescent identity crisis within the common rhythm they used to or they are having more frequent identity crisis cycles. In either case, adults are struggling with unresolved identity crises. It is hard to imagine life without a firm grip on who you are. Young adults who battle with an unresolved identity crisis are vulnerable for failure. It may not be surprising, moreover, that a survey by the U.S. Department of Justice showed that 39% of jail inmates lived in mother-only, father-absent households. When properly understood, Christianity offers redemption for brokenness. The Christian faith invites everyone to divine identity. Peter reminds believers that he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, by holy, be holy because I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. In other words, Christ is God's invitation to every human being, regardless of their family situation, social location, ethnic identity, or past life. The invitation is to be like God. What an amazing opportunity. Paul explains that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. And 17. The invitation does not extend only to those with high church attendance and regular Bible reading plans, but to everyone, including the people on street corners, in prison, or the people who are struggling with addictions and mental illness. Christ invites a world in search of identity to discover who they are in Him. A divine belonging is the unique gift the church must offer to the world. Jesus could have come into the world in a much grander way. Trumpets could have sounded as he slowly descended from heaven. But Jesus came as a reflection of the people that he came to save. He emptied himself of divine privilege and left a heavenly home to live with us. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Jesus always had a heart of the underprivileged, often speaking up for the poor, healing the sick, Mark 3, 1 through 6, and demonstrating how his followers should treat and respect other people. 
Jesus is all about love and unity. His followers must live out his main message and be called Jesus' disciples. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another, John 13, 34. This means that Christians must not be known more for what they believe or their political affiliations than their love. The early church was built on love. It is crucial that Christians demonstrate what it looks like to manifest the fruit of love, indulging kindness, patience, self-control, goodness, faithfulness, joy, peace, and endurance. Galatians 5, 22, and 23. When Christians show the fruit of unconditional love, we draw others to the discovery of who they are in Christ. As we close, living it out. Lives are at stake and the future of the world depends on how Christians unify to fight against injustice. When non-Christians can clearly see the problems with the isms and phobias, the faith appears more blinding than, revealed, than revealing. People need to know who they are in Christ. Jesus calls his followers to open the eyes of the blind. These there are many blinded not only to who they are, but also to what Christ has to offer. Sharing the love of Christ with others is more than an invitation to church or an invitation to baptism or to say the sinner's prayer. It involves being present with people in rejection so they may experience the expression of divine hope in their time of need. Come, Holy Spirit, heal the church and society. Help us see more clearly so the world will discover its potential as we submit to your word. And that is the end of chapter 4. So stay tuned to our next reading as we venture into part 2 of Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? I thank you for your patience in listening through chapters 1 and through, through 4. This was the end of chapter 4. So if you missed chapters 1 through 3, then I invite you to go back and hear part 1 in its entirety. You be blessed and highly favored.